Welcome to the Body Grievers Club. This is a podcast aimed to help those who are struggling to make peace with their here and now bodies. I'm your host, Bree, a fat positive body image educator and coach. My goal is to help you feel less alone in your body grief. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of body image, body grief, as you find your way home to your body. Welcome to the club. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Body Grievers Club. I am your host, Bree, and I am so pumped to bring you today's guest. I have before me Andy Hagman, who is a nurse educator at Stanford. She was like, you don't need to say that. And I was like, yes, we do. Um, <laughs> and we are going to be talking about being a professional in the medical field, uh, which is just super fat phobic. So Andy, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, the work that you do. Yeah. Um, well, I've been a nurse since 2009. And uh, when I started out in this profession, I lived in a thin body and was very much struggling with an eating disorder um, for, for much of my life. had struggled with an eating disorder. And like many people who deal with eating disorders, they don't give it credit if you live in a normal size body or a larger size body. And I was never thin enough to give it credit, right? So it went on for years, um, you know, purging, binging, you know, the whole thing, restricting. And so over the past couple of years, living in a larger body and embracing intuitive eating really started that journey for me, like gung-ho in like 2018 after I had my second child really started understanding just the depth of my own fat phobia, my own internalized fat phobia, and then the widely accepted fat phobia in the medical field. Um, So yeah, as a nurse educator, it's been really interesting to approach it from that lens of how do I educate others, my colleagues, especially um, Mm -hmm. how to approach medicine, not just medicine, but nursing practice is a separate thing. Um, from medicine to care for the whole person, especially people who live in marginalized bodies. So, wow. Yeah. Oh, so much to, to unpack there. Um, so, so tell us a little bit, how did, how were you able to unlearn the fat phobia that was internalized? That's a really good question. And I feel like that is probably the most difficult thing I've had to manage in my eating disorder recovery. You know, I worked with um, Kirsten Ackerman, um, I think is how you say her name, as a dietitian, right, as a nutritionist, and did so much great work with her. But it wasn't until I started working with you at the body image piece that I really started to understand just how horrific my beliefs were. I mean, I have to just like lay it out there. It was horrible mm-hmm. the things that I believed about people who lived in larger bodies. And once I uncovered that lid of like, okay, you are now becoming somebody who lives in a larger body because you're choosing to get healed from your mm-hmm. eating disorder. What does that mean for you knowing what you believe about larger people? And it's all of the typical things that we know people think. It's that they're lazy, that they're unmotivated. And as a nurse, especially when I worked in the ICU for a very long time, and these are patients who 
um, are often intubated and sedated. They're completely reliant on you for care. And I remember having thoughts of like, gosh, if this person would only just lose weight, I wouldn't be breaking my back over trying to take care of this person. Mm. And instead of it being like, man, if only my hospital provided more support to help me take care of this person, like a lift team or equipment to help turn this person, mm. it's not the person's fault. It's the system. Right. Wow. That was where I started uncovering all of those things of like, oh, shoot, my mindset is the blame on the fat person. And therefore blaming myself in that process as I'm becoming a fat person, that that shame that goes along with it, right? Mm -hmm. So uncovering those system, deep system beliefs that it's the person's fault who lives in a large body and not the system around them, Yeah, right? Flipping that. And that's so hard to do. I think one, just as a person in diet culture, mm -hmm. and then second, as a person in the medical field. Yeah, because absolutely. This is normalized. I'm sure. Yeah, it's, just and it's not even normalized. It's praised. Like I will never forget. I worked at the VA at the time, and there was a gentleman who lived in a large body and was asking for a second tray of food, and the resident was refusing to give him food. Flat out refused to give him food because he was like, "You are too fat. That is too many calories. I am not giving you more food." And I just remember kind of rolling my eyes at it and being like, "Oh, here we go." Like, yeah. this is like the normal thing, right? Right. And it, it, that person was given accolades because it's like, yeah, you know, we really need to get that person's weight down. So good for you for holding your ground. Wow. And that's wow. the kind of, when that's the kind of world that you live up against and it's like, you are doing your job as a physician mm -hmm. because yeah. you are fat shaming somebody thinking that oh, in some weird backwards world that that's going to make it better. Right. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. It's crazy. I, I, I kind of want to come in here and, and address something too. Like, I know that you believe that your beliefs were so fat phobic. And what I can say is when I worked with you, I, I recognized the hidden underlying fat phobia, but I still feel like the values of who you are, inclusivity mm -hmm. and compassion, like that came through. The problem was they were coming to a head and they, they were becoming disjointed but only for you. So it was, yeah. was that self reflection of like, well, I can't do this because then I'm lazy. And you're like, but you know what? I don't even believe that for anybody else. I don't. Yeah, right. for sure. <laughs> right. Right. And, and it's this, this is such an interesting concept too, because it's like, I would I'd love to know what people learn in medical school. But one thing I know they don't learn is about eating disorders. They don't. And they don't learn about nutrition. <laughs> they, even, even in nursing school, it's very, very basic nutrition facts. And they're all screwed up nutrition facts. Let me tell you, my nutrition teacher made me count my calories. And literally on one of my food diaries, I wrote down that I had two English muffins for breakfast. And I will never forget her writing on there in red, why two? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Oh my God. Like you don't need that extra English muffin, my girl. And and I will never forget, that's the kind of diet culture that's embedded into the medical model, right? Yeah. yeah. You're not treating the whole person. And it's not based in research. It's just period, end of story, full stop. And so talk about the research, right? Because we always talk about the research and then people are like, show me your studies. So as a medical professional, medical educator, right? Yes. Tell us, tell us what the research says. 
I mean, there's so much out there. It's I, I always, this is the part where I always am like, I get fumbled up on because I think as a medical provider or a, a healthcare practitioner, whatever it is, especially as an educator, I always want to say, what did this study and this study and this study? Yeah. At the end of the day, yes, the, the studies will tell you, the research will tell you that 95% of diets fail, right? So within five years, you are almost guaranteed to gain more weight than you had lost or had been before you lost weight. Which right? is weight cycling, which there's this is weight cycling, yes, on weight cycling. Absolutely. And you, ha- your body has a natural weight set point. Right. Yeah. So your body has a, an equilibrium that it likes to be at. And when you force your body to lose that weight, your body goes into starvation mode. Your mind starts getting more cravings. You start binging. You have that cycle of binging, restricting, binging, restricting. And that's what the eating disorder process is, which you know. Right. So, yes, there's all of that research there. And you can talk about it till you're blue in the face. But for anybody out there who's listening to this, I need you to hear this as somebody who's a medical professional. Your lived experience as a fat person, as somebody who has struggled with an eating disorder or has struggled with being treated poorly in the medical field, you do not need to prove your existence through research. I need you to say that again. Yes. You do not need to prove your existence or validate your existence through research. You are allowed to go to your provider and say to them, I want to have weight inclusive care. I want to be treated as a person, just as you do a thin person. Mm. I want to be treated with respect, with dignity. And I want you to know that my health matters to me just as it does to you. Mm. But weight loss is not something that is going to be successful. Mm. And I know that we can decide on how to treat whatever I'm coming to you for without weight being on the table, Mm. right? Mm. Like, but put the research aside. There is research out there. There's research out there that you could bring to your doctor. That's fine. But for the majority of us, even somebody like me as a nurse educator, it's so hard to pull that research out when you have that flight or fight response with a medical provider. Yes. That I want people to know that your lived experience is enough. I I feel like when, when your MO is like, I need to know what studies to pull, you've already lost the argument. Absolutely. I feel that way. And I'm a freaking nurse educator. It's like literally in a research class right now. Right. (laughs) Right. Because like nobody who's actually interested in learning wants to look at the data, right? Like when you're in these conversations. There's ways to interpret the data any way they want, right? Right. You can choose to look at a research study and be like, well, there was correlations here and I can't really prove causation. And, you know, there's, you can find research that will fit your, you know, viewpoint either way. True. And I hate that. I'm like, Mm. like, I just like to focus on the feelings. But what we also can, if, if you were to look at a study, like, Ask them to provide the study where this research is peer-reviewed and that it is evident. And look at how long are the results. Is it longer than 10 years? And I would say most studies. Or even five. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Five years. And this is why when, and I know you had mentioned um, watching my live, which is now going to be a podcast episode posted mm-hmm. before this one, where my doctor was trying to explain how weight loss surgery is helpful. And what she doesn't realize is that 
I've done so much research and there is nothing in the research that says longer than five years or is there yeah sustained weight loss sustained weight loss yeah and and and, yeah let's talk about that for a second because um and no one else will know this but I'm gonna tell everyone that I messaged Brie recently because I was working on a e-learning module because I'm a nurse educator. So I'm working on the regulatory modules that our staff take, our healthcare practitioners, meaning our physicians, our advanced practice providers, and our nurses. And the specific module we were working on is called bariatric surgery, right? Which is weight loss surgery. And I was sending clips and pictures to Brie because I was like, look at this crap. Like, this is all crap. And it was mm-hmm. saying that the level of success, and then they considered bariatric surgery a success if you lost like 50% of your body weight or something of the excess yep. weight within the first year. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's their measure of success. Which is wild. Which is wild. And then you go into the other slides, which I didn't even show you, Brie, but when you go into the other slides, it's like, oh, and so as healthcare providers, we need to know what all the side effects are of this surgery and how to care for this, you know, these people after they come out of the surgery. The side effect slides are like 10 slides long, hair loss, like, you know, issues with nails and skin and nutritional deficiencies and having to take distress. Yeah. Major GI distress, having to take supplements for the rest of your life. Like this is no joke. And the, the, the fact that we have normalized such like deep fat phobia to the point where we are telling people living that life after weight loss surgery with all of those side effects and all of those choices you have to make is better than being in a fat body is horrific. It it just shows that it shows the culture that we live in. And, and what I, what I had, you know, I said this to you before we started recording is I had reached out to a, a family member of mine and I was just like, give it to me straight. I was like, why did this happen? Like, why did we go four years and this doctor says nothing? And then all of a sudden, after one bad bout of blood work, she lost it. And she said, honestly, based off the conversation, it sounds like she spooked herself, that mm-hmm. she convinced herself I've been giving her bad medical advice yeah. because now look fault. at where we are, right? It's her fault. She took it personally. And, and there's the humanity in that, right? That, that, that doctors are fallible and that, mm-hmm. that they are human. And so, I, I mean, imagine as a, an educator, can you talk a little bit about caring for the whole person, right? You, you'd mentioned that before. What should that look like? What should a person who is getting medical advice, what mm-hmm. does care for the whole person look like? Yeah, that's a really good question. Some really good tactical tips that I still, and I'm, I'm saying this is, this sounds a lot easier than it is. I, you're talking about somebody who literally just for the first time in the past like month asked not to be weighed at the doctor, right? But there's some really good tactical things that we can look for as a provider treating us like a whole person. Mm. And when you walk into a provider, rather than them just saying, you know, let's focus on weight loss. Let's look, look at reducing your calories having somebody say, so how is your nutrition? Do you have access to good food? Can you financially afford it? What kind of things do you enjoy eating? Do you have a good relationship with food, right? Like asking you about your person in a whole fashion. You know, what is your stress levels like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, what does your life look like? Are you busy? Do you have a lot of stuff? Do you have kids? Do you have a partner? Do you have whatever? 
Um, and what does that look like for you? What is your schedule mm -hmm. like? You know, and what does health look like to you, mm -hmm. right? For me, I had to know that, you know, like I had to start an SSRI a couple of years ago because of really bad anxiety and depression changed my life. I had no idea how much better I could get gained a ton of weight afterwards. Mm -hmm. And that might've been from the SSRI or, or not. Right. But for me, health looks like making sure that my mental health is okay, that I have a good relationship with food, that I have, I can go out with my family and have a cupcake and not feel like the world is going to end. Mm -hmm. So that's what it should look like to treat the whole person, wow. right. To know what is important to them and how we can get them to that level of health. Wow. And I'll even just give an example of this. And so like, if, if anybody listens to my podcast episode on healing the medical narrative, I talk about how six months ago I went to the doctor and had a mm -hmm. full blown panic attack afterwards. And it was because my body was prepared for what happened now. And so I am thanking mm -hmm. God, the universe, whatever you want to call her, um, for preparing me for that. Cause I went to EMDR therapy and was like, what happens if this happens again? Because this will happen again. And I said, I am never going to be an Enneagram eight. I am never going to cut mm -hmm. a bitch. Like I am, mm -hmm. I am. That's I am, my husband. I totally I, get it. And I'm not, I'm a two. So I'm, I'm with you. Right. I am a, I'm a lover, not a fighter. And so I, I can appeal to the compassionate side of a doctor. And if they're not willing to appeal to that, then they're not a provider I want to work with. And so the only differences between now and six months ago the only difference is not taking my medication regularly. That's it. That is the only difference. Mm -hmm. And had she not responded in that way, she like, and she listened to me. She did listen to me, but I think her wheels had already been turning. And so it is not mm -hmm. our job to make sure that our providers feel comfortable. That is not Amen. your job. And so um, the advice I would give is, do you have providers that you are working with like a dietitian, like a therapist who can advocate for you because mm -hmm. my dietitian was the first person to advocate for me. And then I realized I never had this conversation with my doctor to begin with. So mm -hmm. now we set the, st the standard, right? Of mm -hmm. I will, we won't, she was like, I will not bring this up unless you bring it up first. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to bring it up. I'm not doing that. It's <laughs> not going to happen. And I said, and, and I said, I can keep coming back to you if I know it's not going to happen. And she said, yes, it will not happen. And and do I trust it? You know, we'll see. <laughs> um, yeah. Do I trust her? I do. And I think, do I trust her team? Do I think that somebody's going to not read my chart and like ask me? Absolutely. Like I, you know, there's, there's so many components to it. How has body liberation, like, what does that look like in your life now? Like you started mm -hmm. as somebody who had this internalized fat phobia or was coming up in the workplace how is life different now? What what does that change look like for you? Yeah, and this is this is going to go back to the Bonnie Grievers group and my work with you for sure, because you talk a lot about how it's an archaeological dig, right? It's not a journey where we don't have these like necessarily like concrete milestones and a, a, an endpoint. Um, but I have seen progress, and what I've seen specifically is my thoughts don't end up in a shame spiral. So there's living in a larger body now, going from like a size six at one point in my life to now like a three, four X, right? That's a big change. Mm -hmm. So adjusting to, okay, I can't do the things. My mobility is different. I've, I just feel different in this body. Yeah. And for a long time when I would notice my body more, 
whatever that would be, feeling uncomfortable or awkward or distress, my initial thought was, this is my fault. I shouldn't be this way. I've let myself go. People must think horrible things about me. My husband must not want to be with me. Like you just go down this whole shame spiral, right? And now my mindset is very much, oh man, today's a rough body day. I need to go put on some comfortable clothes. I need to get us some movement in here that's going to make me feel better. I need to be gentle with myself. And I need to remember that it's just a moment. It's just today. It'll get better tomorrow. I also need to know that I am loved. Mm. I am worthy of care and love. And if people think poorly of me that I'm lazy or whatever because of my body, F them. I don't give a shit about their, their opinion. I really don't. They will have right? the day they deserve. I'm caring less about other people's opinions. Yeah. So that mind shift of, it doesn't mean that my body feels different. I feel better. I'm not in love with my body every day, but how I think about it and how I approach it mm. and allow myself to grieve the moments that are tough. That's the biggest difference. Oh my gosh. That's so beautiful. Was it you? You could, you could say no, even if you, if it was, mm -hmm. you don't want to say that with the scrubs. Yes. It was you. Can we, can we talk mm -hmm. about that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That it, yeah. You, you had a hard time accepting this larger body and so your scrubs weren't fitting. And so I think I had asked, would you get a larger pair of Bigger scrubs? Pair. Yeah. And you, I you actually, it's really funny because in my new role that I've been in for like the past like eight months or so, I haven't had to wear scrubs. And it was a couple, maybe a couple of weeks ago that I had to go wear scrubs to go back into the hospital for something. And I have two sets of scrubs in my um, drawer and the, you know, it was like, they're all by like color coded, right? So everybody knows what size you wear because they see the color coding on it, which is another shame file, right? And I remember looking at the pair of scrubs that I used to wear at that time when I was talking to you about like, man, I'm, my scrubs are really tight. I feel super uncomfortable. And I looked at those. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try them on. Do those fit? Nope. Don't fit. Not today. Right. I am going to go back to my larger size scrubs. And there was zero stress doing that. When before, when that happened, I was doing an intensive with you and I was telling you I had a really bad day. My scrubs are really tight. And you were like, how about we just get an extra pair? Just allow yourself to get an extra pair that's larger. And it took a little bit of effort. Like I use, we use scrub X at our work where we have to like pull these, pull them out of the machine. You have to call down and make sure you get the right size. It's a big ordeal. And I was like, okay, fine. I'm going to go through the whole thing just to get the big size and offer myself that, right? Be gentle with myself in that way and grieve the fact that it's hard for me to get into a larger size, but I did it. And this time it was like, oh, whatever. No, today's the day I'm going to wear the bigger scrubs, yeah. right? allowing myself that space. Yeah. And that's the, that's the litmus test of like how we can measure. Wow. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. You know, I don't even remember when you did the body grievers group in 2020. Was that, was it? Uh, no, I think it was 2021. Wow. Wow. So in a year, right. Yeah. Or less than now you've been able to see that like, okay, I can change the narrative. And mm -hmm. I would also say like with your body liberation, being able to advocate in your workplace. So you were talking about the slides and how fat phobic they were. So what, um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So that was um, really interesting because it was a, you know, I had an email thread going with our whole bariatric surgery team. So this is like surgeons, nurse practitioners. I get really nervous. I'm human, right? So I'm sitting here with these like world-renowned surgeons and I'm calling them out for being fat phobic on an email thread. <laughs> so it's very scary. 
But I wrote back and said, I would like to, I'm not a, you know, an expert. I'm not a subject matter expert in bariatric, bariatric surgery, but I am very passionate about fat sensitivity and fat phobia. Mm. Um, didn't say it like that, but just kind of sure. general. I said, I would like to adjust these slides through that lens. And so I basically ripped them apart. Like I, I mean, I showed you some of the comments that I had was like, BMI is horrible. We shouldn't be using this. It's not an indicator of health. Like, you know, and I was yeah. writing all these things and like, don't put a headless photo of a fat person that's dehumanizing, like just calling out everything that I saw. And really that caused a little bit of distress for me. I was mm. like a good seven out of 10 on the scale, right? I love like, that you woo. still use the scale. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is a seven out of 10. But then after I did it, it was like, I, I needed that. I needed to know that I could push back against the system. And it was actually really well received. Everyone was like, oh, great. Thank you so much. Like, amazing. thank you for put, you know, having this input because they want to treat their patients kindly. They don't know. Honestly, it's like you were saying with your physician, like sometimes yeah. they don't even know better themselves. And we are doing a lot of emotional labor by correct you know, uncovering their own fat phobia. But we it's it's a gift at the end of the day to somebody else. Right. Yeah. And that's where, oh man, like that, that's where the emotion comes up because for my provider, I know that I have sent a lot of people her way. And that was the first thought about, it was like, oh shit, oh, like I sent people. so many people to her and what if this happens to them? And so I said, okay, well, how would I advocate for them? And mm -hmm. so, and I just, I was kind and I was compassionate and I told her like, this is not eating disorder conscious mm -hmm. right Inclusive. this is yeah yeah this is this is harmful and I I think I even mentioned the fact that I've sent a lot of people her way who cannot have this conversation um and that if there's concern the first thing that she should have done is said let's try something different and come back in six weeks and then mention your concern but she went right to the concern and so uh, there is an emotional labor on that part and there's grief in that and mm -hmm. for me this is where I find my meaning and purpose because mm -hmm. if I can go through it and somebody else doesn't have to, like, then maybe they can get further in their recovery and help someone mm -hmm. else. And this is the ripple effect. So mm -hmm. by you having those slides changed, you have no idea the impact that that's going to have on the person that sees, sees those slides. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the care that they give, right? Absolutely. I want to make sure as a nurse educator, that I'm teaching others how to care for people like me. I want to be able to walk into a doctor's office and not have a panic attack, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that, if that's my life's mission, then that's you know, fine with me. I love that. I love that. If you could tell pre-body grievers you mm. something that you know now, what would you tell her? Gosh, you know, I mean, honestly, the first thing that comes to my mind is that you're going to be okay. I think sometimes we just need people to tell me, like, tell me that it's going to be okay someday, right? Because yeah. it's so hard. And it's not like it's perfect all the time. I still think, God, if I could only just this way, it would be so much easier. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it would be easier, right? Sure. But I don't live every moment of every day struggling in this body anymore. And yeah. it gets better, right? Doing the work, it gets better. Yeah. And I think sometimes it feels like if I take this out of the box, then I'm, this is it. Like I'm just going to spiral. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go down. And that's why I like to use that scaling of like on a scale of one to 10. But maybe we don't start with the 10. I, I think if I had yeah. asked you to email the people at last year, you would have been like, absolutely not. Not at all. I, I like, never would have been able to pull that off. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and, but even for myself, 
I think even a year ago, I would have never been able to, to confront my, my doctor. Um, and so that's the litmus test for me of, hey, I'm learning. And, and I was just talking to a family member recently who was talking about just, you know, when our, when our thoughts start to spiral. And she came up with this reframe that I was like, wow, I really like that. And she said, honestly, the worst case scenario, whatever it is, even if the worst case scenario happens, I'm going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And that it sucks, but Gosh, yeah. it's so true. Like, even if I walk into a doctor's appointment and they they yell at me, like, I'm, I am going to figure it out. I'm going to survive. I am going to get a lot of love and a lot of comfort from people mm-hmm. about how horrible that is. And it doesn't take away from it sucking, but that I can survive even the worst yeah. case scenario. Yeah, he'll be okay eventually, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that really also comes back to the reparenting and the inner dialogue of how do I take care of myself? Because Mm -hmm. if I had left that appointment, I was like, oh my God, she's right. I'm so horrible. Gosh, yeah. That spiral would have been harder to get out of. And that's the Mm -hmm. difference between going down the the rabbit hole or the, the shame spiral and choosing the thought trail that I'm going to follow through. Right. And I think the difference, right, is walking into that appointment and coming out and going, oh my gosh, she's right. I should be thinner. I should try to lose weight. Maybe I should do the surgery, et cetera. Versus, gosh, dang it. That's really a bummer that that provider was not that inclusive. Yes. Yes. It's not my fault. No living in a fat body. It's theirs. And it's a really big bummer that I have to survive a fat phobic world. Yeah. But that's on them. It's not on me. She was really, she was trying so hard. She was like, did this change? Have you done? I'm like, I'm telling you the only change. There's been one single change. One change. And that that is a perfect science experiment. You know, that's what drives me nuts too about the healthcare world. It's like, okay, you know, would you be asking the same question of somebody who lived in a thin body? No, you would be looking at every other thing. Correct. Absolutely. And I actually said that to my my family member who's, who's a a doctor. And I was like, hold on. I said this to a family member who's a doctor. I was like, you know, if, if my friend who walked in, who's in a smaller body, would this have been the same conversation? And and the truth is, is no. Right. But we also don't want to set that as the standard that because someone exists in a, a smaller body, that that's the standard they should use because as a person in a larger body, there are things that we need to look out to, look out for. Mm-hmm. Like you mm-hmm. need to know mm-hmm. how to treat my body. She knew my history. She knew yeah. that I had had a surgery, uh, and so for me, that was just the part that just my that blew my mind. Mm-hmm. That blew my mind when she said that to you. I was like, "Are you kidding?" I know, I know. <laughs> and I a shameless plug, but if anyone is curious about the harms of uh, weight loss surgeries. I did a webinar with Reagan Chastain and several providers who had had weight loss surgery. Reagan brings the research, which is not my forte, and the rest of us brought our testimonies and our experiences and uh, the impact. And so we'll include that in the show notes uh, if you would like to purchase that. I also wanted to point people to some research. Uh, I know that Lindo Bacon has some problematic... I, I want to point people towards... Lindo Bacon's book, um, mm-hmm. but I also want to hold space that I know that they are problematic, uh, yeah. especially in in the health at every size space. 
And, you know, I'm not going to expand on that here, but I do would I would like to also provide other resources. So some really great books that I recommend include Deshaun Harris's book, uh, The Belly of the Beast. And it's like the Mm. political here. I'm going to read it straight out so that I'm not trying to make it up. Belly of the Beast by by Deshaun Harrison, The Politics of Anti-Fatness as Anti-Blackness. I recommend Sabrina Strings, uh, Fearing the Black Body. I recommend Sonia Renee Renee Taylor. Yep. Mm -hmm. The Body is Not an Apology. I'm thinking more for like research. I mean, uh, Chrissy Harrison and the Anti-Diet. Yes. Tons of research in that book. I did. The Health at Every Size website is really good. They have a lot of research there. Yep. And if you look up ASDA, they have a lot of resources there as well. The research is bountiful it's there. but what i would encourage you like like andy said is don't go into a discussion needing your research because if you do you're going to walk away disappointed so instead walk away knowing your lived experience walk in with your lived experience and be confident or at least be self-assured that yeah. you don't need research to justify your experience your lived experience is enough, mm. right? Yeah. And that yeah. can be hard for the, the beginner body griever, depending on where they are mm-hmm. in their journey. Andy, I could talk to you all day. Is there any final thoughts, anything else you want to add? Um, and if not, where can people find you? Yes. I, I just need to give a shameless plug to work with Bree in any way you can, folks. I mean, truly, she's phenomenal. I wish we lived close to each other because we would be really good buddies in real life, I'm convinced. But the Body Grievers group was incredible. So if you ever have an opportunity to do it, I would highly recommend it. And you can find me on Instagram at essentiallyandy. Um, I have a, a public page and we talk a lot about um, everything and anything. You know, I'm bisexual. So my child is transgender and I struggled with maternal mental illness. So it's like a, you know, a plethora of all of the things. So come on over, hang out and we'll have some fun. I love, I love Andy's page. It's, you never know what you're going to get, but I'm always like, ooh. What's she talking about? But mm-hmm. um, I can't thank you enough for just spending this time with me on your birthday. So appreciate well, you. <laughs> and we, um, you know, we just appreciate all of all of the kind things that you said. And thank you for the work that you are doing in the medical field. Could not do it without you. So appreciate you so much. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Body Grievers Club. This podcast was made possible by my Body Grievers Club membership. If you like what you heard today, you can leave us a review and you can share this episode with all of your friends. If you're interested in learning more about how you can work with me, check out the link in my bio on my Instagram page at Body Image with Brie or my website at bodyimagewithbrie.com. Thank you again for being here, friends. Until next time.